Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Uh, In this week's episode, we continue to not do part two of Apostles and Apostates. I think that that's what the listeners cry out for. Yeah, it is. They cry out for us to not actually do anything we we say we're going to do. Hey, we were talking about something really interesting. You were going somewhere with it, and now you're three weeks in a row not talking about it. You're right. Um, we start off with a listener email. Uh, dear sirs, this comes to us all the way from the, uh, the frozen great north, north. The frozen north. Um, the great north. And uh, this, this comes to us from a previous emailer that uh, didn't have a question before, but uh, suffered a serious blow to the head as he fell on ice in what I can only assume was middle of July. Yeah, it was, it was probably August 1st, and it was an ice storm. So, in so he, <laughs> he has he has come back with a question, and we felt uh, well. We assume that he that Carl does not have much time with us, and so we want to get right to his question. So this is what not has, much time with us because because he's going to die because of internal bleeding <laughs> because of his accident because of his head injury. So we wanted to get right to it. Uh, we'll we'll return to not talking about apostles and apostates next week, dear sirs. I am addressing you thusly. By the way, so there are a lot of yous that are in places that shouldn't have yous, as he is trying to use the he's king's using the, English. He's using the, the proper king's English, which if you've ever seen you know, a British person write the word color, yeah. there's like just a you just in there. Yes. You know? The Americans, we, we shorten it down. Yeah, you know? look, we got, we got things happening here, Carl. We don't yeah, have we, time we don't for have all time your yous. Yeah, throw another you in there. <laughs> Dear sirs, I'm addressing you thusly as I am never quite sure of your current designations. Well, first of all, Carl, the dissertation is going slowly. Uh, doctor, professor, associate professor, uh, plus being an uh, overly polite Canadian, I don't want to use the dick me at uh, line twice. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Th- that was for me. Last we spoke, I was enjoying our chilly 10 months <laughs> of winter lying on my back in the middle of a four-lane thoroughfare with with, uh, several U's there, uh, enjoying a blurred vision of the heavens. You will be pleased to note that we are currently snow-free in Alberta as we are enjoying our 10 days of summer while squeezing in the famed Calgary Stampede. By the way, Carl, my goal is my wife is, you know, we grew up in rural Idaho. She wants to go to the Calgary Stampede more than anything. And so uh, we're going to be take, we're going to go there. If not next summer, the following summer, going up to the Calgary Stampede, we'll hit a Canadian tire outside of Edmonton in a town called Leduc by some, um, some, some roughneck your, jerseys. Some of your descendants? Leduc Roughnecks uh, is the, is the, is the, hockey organization there outside of Edmonton. I, I'm what level of minor league is this? I, 
well, how many it's, it's, A's? It's their, well, <laughs> well, no, so it's it's kind of their hockey system there. So you have juniors and you have kids. So kind when of all kids the way are up. born in Canada, they're immediately put on a hockey team, a Absolutely. semi-pro hockey team. 100%. But Before like, their mother hugs them, they slide them out on the ice. Right, so it's like uh, getting on the list for Packer tickets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, my grandson was just born. I put his name on the list. 100%. Anyway, so we'll hit up that Canadian Tire, buy some Leduc Roughneck gear just outside of uh, Edmonton. I know that they're they're a, a bitter rival to you. Andy. I believe I said last time I've driven to Calgary. Oh, you have? Yeah. It's okay. a very long drive. It is. Yeah. It's about uh, 12 hours or so from here. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. This time of year? Do you think Rex's Elders Corn president is listening at this point? No. We're going to let Rex's Elders Corn president know when he should we start We should probably listening. find out what his name is. Rex's Elders Corn president. <laughs> it's like, it's if like you're Rachel's listening, mom. We need you to email us and tell us who you are. <laughs> you know what? I don't even think Rex is active. <laughs> he doesn't even have an Elders Corn president. He's not listening. <laughs> I feel like Rex has been lying to us for years. I don't know, though. It, it sounded so believable that someone would listen to this think it's just silly and ridiculous and then half hour in you know you get to some good stuff so i actually i think it's pretty well, on point except for the getting to good stuff part i think it is pretty on point <laughs> it's true uh alas i digress which is funny he said that as we also digress yeah. we can only get 10 minutes in before my communication today is to actually forward a query if uh if you remember the last time i did not have a question only advice to post warnings of northern climates for northern climates. I believe that you are gaining traction north of Polk's 5440 or fight. Wow, that is that is an epic drop for this podcast. That is very, very yeah, There are like very, four very of our listeners who got that and, and me. So five of us. <laughs> That's very funny. Here is a little background to frame the question. While studying Come Follow Me... For the coming week. By the way, all of the U's that he, all of the extra U's he uh, this holds, le- This letter would have only been like probably I'd be done reading seconds. it by yeah. now. But there's just U's there's everywhere. There's so many U's. Um, but probably a couple A's yeah. that he didn't mean to throw For in. For the coming week, I came across a scripture in Acts 9, 6. Uh, the Savior asks Saul, Savior misspelled with extra U's, <laughs> why persecutest thou me? After recovering from astonishment, Saul responds with, what will thou have me do? An awesome question we should probably all contemplate. Good point, Carl. This reminds this reminded me of something in church history that I have heard a few times, but have never been able to track down. Apparently, Joseph Smith once dressed down Brigham Young publicly for something that he did not do. Brigham's humble response was, quote, Joseph, what will you have me do? So, there uh, is there a documented occurrence of this, or will you <laughs> will you yet again crush the soul out of all Brigham Young's descendants who like to relate this incident in their quest for filthy lucre, uh, or in your quest for filthy? In lucre. my quest, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. not they, Brigham Young's quest. They aren't going for filthy lucre. We are. We are. Knowing- Carl, are you a premium subscriber? <laughs> If you aren't, we're not answering this. Uh, knowing of your uh, joint, that, that's with a question mark, sleuthing abilities, I have this. I leave this query in your capable hands. Sorry for interrupting your podcast, uh, Carl. P.S. I could not finish this correspondence without apologizing at least once as a polite right, Canadian. Very good. You're representing your nation well. Very, very well. Uh, I should like to hear something from the uh, Hugh Finley mailbag. Uh, F-I-N-A-L-Y mailbag, as he was the first postmaster of Quebec, 1765. I am positive 
our distant friend from Quebec would appreciate it. Because this, me reading this email comes to you from the Phoebe um, Draper, the Phoebe mailbag. Draper mailbag, right? right. So I, I'm going to have to take issue first of all. Okay. Right. I mean, 1765. There, there might be some of your, I don't know, French Canadian fellow citizens. My, my, uh, yes, uh, Joseph Leduc is now in Canada for almost 30 years, but before. still only owns one acre. So you tell me what he's doing. <laughs> well, so, but he, so, so he was there like for 30 I, years, never sent a letter. I feel like Joseph Leduc is, uh, He's not really expanding the uh, the talents that he's been given. Well, yeah, he hit him under a, a bushel. Is yeah. the, the master was uh, was he knew that he'd be angry and that he um, yeah. would take it. Out. Well, he, so, was a, he reaped where he did he not reaped, sow. That's the, what I was yeah. looking for. Reap well, where so, he did not sow. So the reason why I have to call you out on that is because I'm sitting next to a descendant of a French Canadian, and as all French Canadians know. Uh, Hugh Finley's not the first postmaster of yeah. Quebec. That's a, that's a weird weird way to spe- spell a, a French name. Hugh yeah, um, Finley because he's the first postmaster of Quebec after the British conquer it. Yes, after the Treaty of Paris, he's the first <laughs> postmaster. Uh, which Treaty of Paris was that? Because there's lots. Of them. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, right. there lots. Yeah, it's a, uh, yes. it's a, yeah, 1763. But um, um, <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> That was the worst flex I've ever seen in my life. Which Treaty of Paris? You can get more of that from the premium content. We have to give the people what they want. They want Postmasters. They want 5440 or fight. They want to know which uh, Treaty of Paris it was. Right? I, if I hadn't said that, we would the, the emails we would have received would have been legion. It would have been legion. Um, but uh, I want to... Quickly, uh, just call out for a second that you know there are of course French people there prior to uh, to the English taking it over. Mm-hmm. It's 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 pretty caustic the end of that civil war. But you know, really historians think the first you know postmaster, if you want to call him that, is actually a, a Portuguese settler in Quebec uh, named Pedro, but I think goes by Pierre mm-hmm. de Silva because he's trying to. Trying to go along to get along. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Pedro, you mean Pierre? Yeah, I can see right. him doing it with like a like a Missouri accent. You mean Pierre? Yeah. <laughs> you all mean Pierre, right? <laughs> yeah, Pierre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's about right. I love how in Latter Day Saint movies, whenever we want to make someone evil, <laughs> we give them a Missouri accent. Yeah, even even if they're not, they could be. We could be in California, and we want the person to be evil. Give them a Missouri accent. Hey, hey, guys, I'm I'm here with uh, some letters. What's your name? Pedro, oh, I don't know any Pedros. Hey, hey. No Pedros know. bringing letters around here. What, what's your name again? It's Pierre. Ah, that's what I thought you said. Uh, uh, in 1693, he is actually given the contract to transport letters from Quebec and Montreal. Oh, how about that? And then the the colony's first actual, uh, you know, he's he's the first postmaster by that, but it's a French postmaster. In fact. Canada issued a commemorative stamp honoring Pedro de Silva in 2003. <laughs> Did it, do we have any oh, philatelists listening? Uh, yes, I, actually we do. Uh, um, I believe that uh, our good friend Reed is a... Uh, is a philatelist? I believe so. No, no, not no. No. No, it's coins. Oh, okay. I get, yeah, a, I get, I thought, I get stamps and coins yeah, off. I thought you would confuse philatelists with philanderer, and I was a little <laughs> worried that we'd get another email. No. 
from no, uh, not read. Yeah, not not read. Um, and uh, he uh, he's going to pass away in seventeen seventeen, and oh. you'll get a true French. Oh my gosh! Name. Yeah, too soon. Yeah, Jean Moran oh, becomes okay. uh, Jean Moran, or <laughs> Jean Moran becomes the uh, the new postmaster. Of course, until the British take things over. So I mean, you know, you have to. If I were a French Canadian or sitting next to well, a so descendant of a French Canadian. Well, Carl's Carl's living in the province of Alberta. I'm yeah. pretty sure that he's not counting no, the he, French either. So how much, you know, is is he happy that every road's Well, he's still French. resenting the fact that he got probably like a, you know, a B minus in 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 French, you know, his in middle school he just hated it, but he had to take it anyway and he's yeah. just irritated that Well, look, what we're going for is we know our only growth area is Canadian listeners. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. But we think our growth area is French Canadian listeners. That's the money ball. We've seen That's a, what we're trying we've to We've seen do. a lot of pickup in Spain as uh, my son talks to other missionaries and they're listening. But instead of, because they can't listen to the podcast, so he's just sharing the Google Drive file with the, right. which, we do, which doesn't count. But we do right. have 181 downloads in Spain, so it's that, blowing up. That has to be just missionaries who are illegally downloading it, right? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad to know that we're helping the cause. Anyway, just, just thought we'd point that out. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's go back to the question. Now, this is a really good question. In fact, I've been asked this question multiple times um, just in passing. People say, hey, do you know where that quote is that uh, where Brigham Young had this, you know, he was dressed down by Joseph Smith? Thirteen minutes in, Rex is Elder Scorn president. Go ahead and start there. Well, I mean, wouldn't you have to listen to this point? I'm going to put it in the description. I, I we can't just call it out every time, or people will just always skip past the first thirteen <laughs> That's minutes. Fine, it counts as a download. <laughs> Richard's always thinking about numbers. This is a really great story, right? And and part of the reason why I think it, it is so, it, it has so much, it has legs, so to speak. The reason why you've heard it before is. We, we love how devoted Brigham Young is to Joseph Smith. And in fact, I mean, if I had to, you know, I've been working on uh, annotating and uh, publishing Brigham Young's journals up through the Nauvoo period with the Brigham Young Center Foundation. Those are going to be coming out in, in a few months, actually, where we, we, we took them like we did with the Joseph Smith papers, and we went through and made historical annotations to help people understand these documents. Well... One thing that's very clear, studying the life of Brigham Young, is just how desperately devoted he is to to Joseph Smith. And that devotion is such that Brigham will apparently only have a slight moment of doubt that it takes him a while to get into the church. You know, he, he, he's, he's studying things in the church for a long time before he actually gets baptized. And then, as we've talked about before on this podcast, he struggles with the fact that Joseph reveals Doctrine and Covenant section 76, which says that essentially there isn't really a hell. Now, we have another listener inquiry about that. We're going to get to that in another podcast. And I think you know what that means. We're never, ever, ever going to get to it. I do have an intention to get to it. Yeah, yeah. If no one else emails. You're the Travis Tritt of LDS podcasters. You always have the best of intentions. Best of intentions. Oh, I thought you were going to say, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. But (laughs) Also that. uh, Also that. 
So we'll get to that. But um, even with that, Brigham doesn't, you know, what does Brigham say? He says, I didn't reject it, but I could not understand it. There's only one place of Brigham's entire life that we know that he even entertains the thought that Joseph isn't absolutely a prophet of God. And that's with the collapse of the Kirtland Safety Society. With the collapse of the the Kirtland Safety Society, Brigham, this is the bank that was in Kirtland. Sorry, my voice is a little raspy. Our our options were to not record at all and not give you a podcast, or you can listen to me sounding worse than I normally do. Yeah. Yeah. Or we could just have Richard take it over. Richard? Yeah, you know what? So we have Now is your time. (laughs) Yes. Well, so... um, uh, I think your voice is fine. Go okay, ahead. good, Go good. Ahead. Yeah, I so, would devolve quickly into uh, things. Well, that, I just assume that you're going to that. This is all one massive power grab. Yeah, you planted a few Canadian emails, <laughs> and now anyway. Um, but Brigham is going to say that that for a brief moment after the Kirtland Safety Society fiasco happens, that Brigham thinks, you know, is 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 Joseph a prophet? And then immediately says, yes, he is. So he doesn't, he doesn't dwell on it very long. He apparently has the thought enter his head. And Brigham feels so guilty about it that the thought enters his head that he talks about it multiple times. That how, I, I think he feels guilty that he ever even for a second had a thought enter his head that Joseph wasn't a prophet, even though he didn't act on it immediately banished it from his mind and continued to serve Joseph the remainder of, of his life. But Brigham still feels guilty about it, that for that one instance, the thought entered his mind. So in many ways, Brigham Young is, he's the best example of the type of, of, the type of testimony that we want to have in the prophet Joseph Smith. Brigham Young did not decide whether or not something Joseph taught was right by comparing it to other things that had been taught. He didn't pull out his Bible and say, now, wait a minute, where does it say this Joseph? He didn't grab his Book of Mormon and say, uh, uh, excuse me, Joseph, um, you just said that people could be saved uh, by being baptized after this life and... You know, I hate to point it out to you, nowhere in the Book of Mormon. So therefore, that must not be true, right? For Brigham, if Joseph said it, then it became true. If you didn't have a scripture that could back it up, it became true. If you didn't have any other revelations that preceded it or explained it afterwards, if it didn't make sense, it didn't matter. If the prophet Joseph Smith said it, it became true. So I, I think that's part of the reason why, I mean, I, I love Brigham and Joseph's relationship. And at least according to um, one account of Brigham Young's death, the, the last thing that he says as he dies is Joseph, 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 right? I mean, Brigham Young loves Joseph Smith, um, which, by the way, as a historian, makes you all the more angry at the ham-fisted, absolutely unacademic attempts of various apostate groups in Utah right now to put forth the absurd 
and, and, and frankly, idiotic argument that Brigham Young had Joseph Smith killed. Brigham Young would have killed himself before he killed Joseph Smith. Brigham Young loved Joseph. And you don't have to read very much to realize how much he loved him. And Wilford Woodruff's diary, when Brigham finds out that Joseph has been murdered, and Brigham takes to his bed and bawls like a baby the whole rest of the night. Now, I'm sure that, you know, Wilford Woodruff was also in on it, you know, so he wrote that into his journal, you know, pretending that, of course, Brigham didn't really order the hit. So it, it, it's one of the worst, I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible argument made by people who are either deliberately attempting to deceive people because they don't have any academic resources on their side or by people who don't uh, know enough and therefore shouldn't be talking about it. Either way, they're terrible arguments. But Brigham loves Joseph, loves him. And so part of this story in that regard rings true even to me, right? Even though I, you know, I'm not going to be able to say, aha, here's our source. So where is this source coming from? And, and how, do we, how, do we, how do we have it? How is, you know, you, you've obviously heard it a couple of times, Carl, like you said. Well, where have you heard it a couple of times? And so we gotta, we're going to try to trace back where this comes from. And in order to do that, we have to, we have to kind of unpack things. Now, it has been cited, this story has been told, and it's been quoted a couple of times in the magazines of the church. It, it is a story that has uh, been cited in, in the Enzyme in, in the early 2000s a couple of times, and even before that. So whenever you're trying to find where a source comes from, one of the most important things to do is to keep tracing back. So if you read, you know, you read an article in church newspaper and it cites a source, we'll go find that source. And then you'll see usually what you'll find is that source that's being cited is really just citing someone else. I mean, because look, I've given enough talks to know that I can't just track down the original of everything. Sometimes I'm just going to quote what someone else has already said, right? For instance, whenever I say anything about the New Testament and about how things were originally in Greek, guess who hasn't? gone to the original greek richard no me i haven't although i assume richard hasn't either no no i i actually uh that's it's it's wrong he, of you he to prefers assume that. more ugaritic than the greek i do but I, I, but i do comb through all of the original greek oh, uh, manuscripts yeah, yes, on all uh, over and over well so when i when i say oh in the original greek you know this word means this when i'm trying to make a point or, or answering a question for somebody i am not an expert I am simply citing someone who I hope is an expert. Now, that is sometimes fraught with a little bit of peril, right? Because what happens if the person that you're citing just says they're an expert? Like, for instance, what if someone you're citing says that there's evidence that Abraham Lincoln's views against slavery originated from Abraham Lincoln reading the Book of Mormon? Now, I might think that person is an expert because they say they are one, 
But that's why it's important to kind of track down someone's expertise. And um, before I quote someone as a Greek scholar on it, I'll kind of want to, if it's a big deal, I'll probably want to find another scholar that says the same thing. You know, when we were working on the Joseph Smith papers, and, and I know we've already had a podcast on this, but look, it's all apocrypha all the time for us. Every day when we're doing our, our well, every day, every time we have a production meeting, <laughs> which involves- We've had zero every day, every yeah. day. When we have a production meeting, which which in, involves Angie and Becky, our, our wives, bringing us McDonald's food and drinks while we talk about which- NCAA teams we're not going to bet on this year because we don't bet. Yeah. But the, even if we did, we wouldn't. Of course. That's our production meeting. Um, While also listening to music, generally. Yeah, we listened to Johnny Cash today. Yeah, yeah. A little, yeah. Because yeah. we're going to walk the Ring line. of fire and walk the line. Yeah. That's right. Well, because if you don't walk the line, you're going to end up in the ring of fire. That's right. Yeah. But- Well, because, and, and in fairness, these things have, there's some- there's some complication to this, right? Like this isn't a very simple, easy thing. Like most things that you no, talk about, most it, things in history. The and- reality is whenever someone presents a historical source and they make it seem like it's black and white and cut and dried, it's not. It, it just isn't. Almost nothing is. There's context that we don't know about. There might be multiple versions of it. All kinds of things like that, which you must not be that bored of, Carl, or you would have already stopped listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah, Carl's a huge fan of the show. Yeah, yeah, fifty-four forty or fight. Yeah, that's that's I hilarious, mean, yeah. Carl. Now Rex's elders corn president stopped listening a few months ago. <laughs> yes, we need to get Rex. We need you to verify with us. That'd be great, Rex. We need you to reach out. It's the the people cry out. Yeah. We need to know. Um. So you go and you, you you track down where that source is cited to and then you find that other source that it's cited to and you keep going back down the line until you can find where does the story really originate now um i think that this story really gets into the popular understanding of latter day saints from well you know the moment you told the story in your email, Carl, uh, Richard and I looked at each other with a very knowing glance and we said, ah, we know that story. And we know where it's from because our hero is Truman Matson. Now, again, we are not Truman Matson. We are not as capable as Truman Matson. We are certainly, collectively, the both of us, not even close to as intelligent as Truman Matson. Okay. We're not as good at teachers. I'm sure he was a better father. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons we can. Yeah, more handsome, better dancer, all of the things. Yeah, I, I hear he was a better dancer. We're going to have to have Barney let us know. Barney, how did your dad dance? No matter how he danced, he's a better dancer. So your your opinion of my dancing is so low. Yeah, I've seen you dance. Yeah, that was just, you know, what, on a cruise ship? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. And there, And, you know, the worst part about trying to dance on a cruise ship is when you're a Latter-day Saint, you can't blame the fact that you're drunk. Or, I mean, I, I mean, I guess you you could. you could to other people who don't know what a Latter-day Saint is, but to your friends who are also Latter-day Saints, unless they gave you the alcohol, you can't do it. Yeah. I, uh, on, on that cruise ship, I think that you're referencing, I uh, took my wife out on the dance floor, uh, did a couple twirls, and then I went for a, you know, a nice dip. Was this before or after you sang the karaoke version of Britney Spears' Toxic? 
<laughs> I don't think it was toxic. Oh, it was a was different. It? it was a different Britney Spears song. Oh, it was, oops! I did it again. Oops! I did yeah, it again. Yeah. But um, we, our, our wives in the background are cueing us to what it was. But uh, I, I we'll dipped, post that video on our website. I dipped. I dipped my wife. My back went out, and I threw her to the ground. I fell to the ground. She went down to the ground. It was a disaster. In, in an attempt to be mildly romantic. That's how I know so Barney, that we're, Truman Madsen was a better dancer. We're guessing that your dad was a better dancer. But um, anyway, um, so when you told the story, I, I knew instantly where it was from because it's from Truman Madsen's lectures on the, the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, I didn't know uh, until you sent your email. And, and look, we're, we're kind of out of my realm of, of history when we're doing anything that happened in the 20th century. Um but I didn't know that actually he had told this story earlier in a tribute to, to Hubie Brown. Um, so the, the earliest place that you're going to hear this story written, and, and it's possible that someone listening, this is where they first heard it too. It's possible. Um, probably not though. I'm guessing that it's the, the Joseph Smith lectures by Truman Madsen. And so let, let me share that. It's a tribute to Hubie Brown, and you might be thinking, well, why in the world? You know, I know you go on tangents, Garrett, but now you're talking about Hubie Brown in order to talk about Brigham Young being rebuked by Joseph Smith. By the way, we'll put a link to uh, Truman Madsen's actual talk on BYU speeches uh, to uh, the uh, Which will to, be better to the episode. So we recommend that you just stop now. Click on that link and just listen to his actual lecture. Hopefully you don't even click on our link. You just listen to that <laughs> Go and it'll straight be better. To that. Yeah. And actually, you know what? As an aside, because that's all we do is asides. Yep. Uh, We're uh, never going to get to your question, Carl. Well, I mean, we kind of got to it. We said, hey, Carl, thanks for the question. You're wrong about the postmaster. <laughs> Tune in for more. Um, I love Hubie Brown. Now, obviously, uh, I, I didn't know him the way that some of our listeners did because they actually got got to hear him speak you know um i didn't but i'll tell you what the the two greatest talks i ever heard as a as a young person were god is the gardener and 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 profile of a prophet and those two talks by president brown were a big part of my testimony and I, I honestly just loved the, the way that he taught. I loved the way that he provided evident, evidences and emotion and reason and humor all the way around. And so, I mean, I already love Truman Madsen. The fact that he's profiling Hugh Brown, President Brown, makes, makes me even more, uh, uh, you know, uh, happy to talk about this. But... Truman Madsen was apparently on very good terms with President Brown and his family. And I think that's the reason why he wrote this tribute, which is, which is a, a wonderful tribute, okay? It's, it's published in the 1976 April uh, New Era magazine. Some of you can just turn around to the stacks of them my mother-in-law used to, yeah. Did she, she have all of them? Well, I, I swear that she kept she kept everything, every magazine ever, in case you ever needed uh, a picture or some quote. She had that's pretty. I don't know if she had the that's April what we did before the internet. Just so everyone knows, but man, she she kept all. My of those dad magazines. did the same thing. He kept all the magazines, and then when he had to give a talk, you know, he, he would reference. Yeah, you know, we go to LDS.org. Yeah. You know, my dad's sitting there going through like, 
nothing in 1983. <laughs> and, and he's going through that. Um, anyway, the, this, uh, in this article, this is what uh, Truman Matson quotes from these conversations that he had from the family. So let me, I'm going to be quoting the article here. Um, some of his most severe tests were, as always, in his own family and in his own church. So talking about President Brown, some of the tests that he, that he had to go through. From his wife, Zina, he learned to treasure a family legacy. The story of Brigham Young receiving a lacing from the prophet Joseph Smith, a deliberate and public blow to the very core of the man, his pride. Brigham arose with all eyes upon him, and in a tone everyone knew was without bitterness, cried out, Joseph, what do you want me to do? The prophet burst into tears, descended, and embraced Brigham, saying, in effect, you passed, Brother Brigham, you passed. President Brown knew the privileges of high office, but also knew also those of release. He knew what it was to step up and to step down. For him, it was crucial that the saints be able to take that kind of medicine to endure priesthood stress, even undeserved, and to plod on in sweetness of spirit in the absence of any tangible encouragement. O Lord, his family often heard him pray, if in order to be humble, we must be humiliated, give us the courage to say, let it come. Beautiful. First of all, you can already tell reading that, how much better Truman Madsen is than us. Collectively, probably everyone listening. That was beautiful. And it also goes to, you know, the great talk that, that President Brown gave, God is the gardener. That the entire idea that some trials are necessary in order to make us who we are, and that it's it's actually the whole the whole point of this life. We came to this earth to have trials. And that sounds terrible when I say it like that. It sounds like I wouldn't be able to sell tickets to that to to that you know preaching. Um, but maybe to just the two thirds of the people that you're preaching it to. Oh boy! Wow! What a what a war in heaven reference. That's yeah, pretty good. You. Yeah. Um, but. Here you, you you get this understanding that it's it's a family story that he learns from his wife. Now now why does this matter? Well, that's because his wife is a granddaughter of Brigham Young. So this story of Brigham Young being chastised is apparently one that's being told inside of his in-laws' families, and it's being told enough times that. Apparently, it is something that that was powerful to President Brown and touched him enough that that he's telling uh, Truman Matson this story uh, at least on one occasion powerfully enough for Truman Matson to 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 remember it. So that's when it, it first becomes public. It's first in a public uh, a, a church publication now. The question would immediately arise, right? So if it's in a, a, a church, you know, meeting, um, it's a public, you know, lacing from the prophet Joseph. Do we have any other sources that talk about this? I should wait till the very end to give the reveal. 
just just go ahead. Yeah. Just no, <laughs> we don't. I, I think that I think that that was everyone knew that. Yeah, you were you were. Well, Carl tipping called your hand me a, a dream crusher, and well, that's what you're about to do here. No, no, I'm not going to dream crush. I'm just going to explain. Okay. While also saying that it probably maybe no 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 possibly well did. so look it's clearly a part of family tradition, um, and. Like I said, though, when it really gets into the Latter-day Saint lexicon is is with uh, Truman Madsen's lectures. Now, lectures, as every good historian will tell you, thankfully do not have footnotes because you're up there winging it. I mean, not that you don't know the stuff, but heavens, if I were to try to footnote everything I'm saying on this podcast, not only would it reveal how terrible I am at this, but it would be a nightmare to try to do. That's why we don't put references. That's the main reason. Right. We don't put references because then then the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> then suddenly people will be like, wait a minute. He didn't even put the citation to which version of the Journal of Discourses article that was? Nope. He didn't. Right. So, um, but it's from his lectures that he gives. Well, those lectures were incredibly popular. I mean, they were so popular that, you know, a a decade and a half later, Richard and I are listening to them on our mission and they are a hot commodity to get your hands on. Yeah. Because they are so, they're so incredible. I, I, I would think 50% of the missionaries in my mission had one of those, uh, tape, tape. And uh, and again, it's part of the reason why we say that Truman Madsen, meant so much to our testimonies because those lectures, the fact that we had access to them were the, were the building blocks of, of our understanding, at least of Joseph Smith and and our faith, our testimonies. I mean, I gained a testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith through, through prayer, but I gained an understanding of who Joseph was by listening to those tapes. I think, I think that's probably a, a, a fair thing now. Um, and, and look, set me on a, career path to where it's what I, I did and do for a living now. Um, or as Carl reminds us, as I try to glut myself on filthy lucre, uh, with, uh, with the premium content, which some of that's just American history. Yeah. Some of it is. I mean, uh, yeah, about of half of it, about half yeah. of the stuff. 54, 40 or fight. That's right. We haven't got to that yet. We have not. We'll never get to that. No. We're somewhere near though. We're approaching. We're thinking about Boston Tea Party. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting close to that. Uh, we, we just concluded, uh, it just, you know, just as a, as a bit of a, you know, this um, this free episode sponsored by the premium content where we just spent uh, three weeks talking about the Stamp Act um, and the aftermath of the seven years Tell me war. that wasn't interesting. It was, it was tell me, tell me, tell me about Andrew Oliver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was actually pretty great. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun with him, and so did the <laughs> Tea Party Patriots. Um, so, so those those talks were so powerful that people essentially clamored to uh, to Truman Madsen. And again, I, we should probably have we, if we have Barney on as a guest sometime. We'll ask him these questions that his dad agreed to turn them into a book. And so he does. He he publishes a book that, that's called Joseph Smith the Prophet. That we just purchased uh, proceeds. Uh, hopefully he has a better deal than you've got. 
in terms of when you publish articles or publish things. Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, no one reads what I publish. That's so it fair. Makes no difference. But hopefully, yeah. to the to the estate of uh, Truman Madsen. <laughs> to the estate, I hope this means that there's just that much more root beer from from you know the the brick oven that is that is available to you. Um, when he publishes these outside of like little editing things, he just publishes them as is and then goes through the gargantuan task. And this is a big deal of going in and inserting footnotes to every one of the stories and sources that he gives in that, in those lectures, this must have taken him forever, except he was a genius. So maybe, maybe it took him like a weekend. <laughs> and for me, it would be like, uh, that'll be the next 10 years of our lives. Angie, this is going to be me looking up footnotes to put it, to put in here. Well, um, so let me, let me share from the lecture because this is, you know, again, edited just a little bit for like, you know, people coughing in the room. We don't include that. It doesn't like cough, cough, cough. Um, talking about Joseph Smith. Um, so I'll give a little bit of a lead into it. Incidentally, the prophet loving, playful and cheerful though he was, did not balk when it was, when he was inspired to rebuke or to admonish with sharpness. After the rebuke, he would show forth an increase of love to the one rebuked in accordance with Doctrine and Covenants 121.43. But he could be towering when he rebuked, and it could penetrate to the very vitals. Illustrative of this story, still carried in the family lore of Brigham Young's descendants, but, so far as I know, never recorded. And then he goes on to, to, to tell the story. So in his talk, he, he very responsibly tells the listeners, hey, there isn't a document that says this. This is family tradition that says this. In fact, he uses the word lore that says it. Now, I think he feels comfortable saying that because... Um, you know, it was related enough times by Zina and by, by Hugh Brown that, that at least the family really felt that it was a great story of, of Brigham Young's character. And by the way, it is a great, I mean, it's a great, it's for me, if that story didn't happen or at least didn't happen exactly the way that it came down to the family, it's still very illustrative of who Brigham Young was. Absolutely devoted to Joseph. Now, would he have taken a dressing down from, say, Orson Pratt? No, he would not. Um, especially when Brigham was the prophet and Orson Pratt was the one questioning him. But he, he's being very responsible as a scholar. I mean, listen to all the caveats in this sentence is a story, okay, so already a story is that that's not saying, hey, let me tell you what happened. A story generally suggests this is a narrative that you got from somewhere that is still carried in the family lore, okay? I don't know how many people hear the word lore and immediately say, oh yeah, that absolutely happened. In fact, the term folklore has kind of a negative connotation in our society today. I'm not saying that it should. But it, it, it kind of does. 
uh, it has a, a negative connotation to most people. The, the lore of Brigham Young's descendants, but so far as I know, it's never recorded. So he's telling you, first of all, this is a story that was just passed on through oral tradition. I can't find any source that talks about it at the time, and I can't find any other source that talks about it. But this is what the family says happened. And, you know, then he goes on to tell, he goes on to tell the story and, you know, uses it to prove the point. Brigham could have responded. Now look, haven't you read that you're not supposed to rebuke in public, but only in private, Joseph? Which is pretty good. Or Brother Joseph, doesn't it say something in the Revelations about persuasion and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness? Or you're dead wrong. It was not so. But he said none of the above. In a voice everyone could tell was sincere, he said simply, Joseph, what do you want me to do? And the story says, now again, he keeps qualifying it over and over and over again. This is a story. I don't have a source, right? Says the prophet burst into tears, came down from the stand, threw his arms around Brigham and said, in effect, Brother Brigham, you passed. So, the, when this was told in these talks, I mean, Truman Matson is in the spirit of a talk. I honestly don't even know if he had anticipated saying that, but it just kind of came to his mind. You know what? Here's a story that kind of illustrates Brigham Young's devotion to Joseph, right? Or Joseph rebuking someone and then showing love to them. So in his sources, uh, in this book, um, he is going to explain exactly where he gets the story. Recounted to the author, recounted to Truman Matson, by Elder Hugh B. Brown, whose wife, Zina, was a granddaughter of Brigham Young. So, And then uh, also references the fact that it was in the, the same New Era article that he had written. So I don't think there's anything wrong with someone teaching something like this with the the number of caveats that they have in it. I mean, I do the same thing where I say, now I don't know if this is true, but there's a chance that, or so-and-so 30 years later said, I mean, I do it all the time because I want my listeners to realize the difference between a really good firsthand primary contemporary source and a later reminiscent account. And I think we, we, we talked about on a, a previous podcast how reminiscences can sometimes get out of hand. Now, that doesn't mean they always do. And it doesn't mean that there's no truth to them. But sometimes you will have people saying that they remember an event that they literally weren't born for. Now, that's not the case here, but I mean, you will have people do that. Now, that's not always malicious, but it is a fact that historians deal with. So what about the fact that here's a here's a public dressing down uh, and Joseph, there's nothing that Joseph, where he mentions it, nothing where Brigham Young mentions it, nothing where anybody who was there mentions it. What, what does that necessarily mean, if anything? 
Well, so it, it, it does mean that a historian has to give more pause to it. Now, look, you cannot be definitive by arguing from the absence of evidence. You simply can't. I mean, uh, Richard was telling me a story uh, the other day uh, that, you know, he had, he had heard a story from someone else. So it's already, I mean, basically we're to a French postmaster at this point. Richard doesn't even deserve an acre. Um, uh, that he was being told a story about a story about someone else. We're like so far removed that it's, this is by rumor at this point. Yeah, but it was a funny story. Of someone who, in a position of power, in a position of authority, had very publicly uh, given a dressing down to another member of the ward council. Had, had called out this person in a public way and told them what a terrible job they did and how, uh, and how wrong it was of them. And it was pretty, it was, it was hard on the ears for other people involved. Right. Right. Now that event I'm assuming happened. Now it is by rumor because it's coming from you and <laughs> you know, but it's probably a lie, but um, that event happened. And yet do you think anyone wrote that down in their journal? No. So would that mean, because we can't find an original account of it in someone's journal, that the, the, the event never happened at all? No, but, I mean, if you were to, uh, you know, if we were to subpoena text records, you might find text evidence Maybe. that was... And what if we never did? What if 100 years passed and all you had was in that person's family history oh man when dad was in a bishopric he he got he got totally you know waylaid publicly about what a terrible bishopric member he was yeah the story's about me uh, yeah <laughs> sorry brady um so the the point is you can't prove definitively that an event did not happen with the absence of evidence you simply cannot which is part of the problem when you deal with all of these things surrounding reminiscent accounts, family histories of things that happened in the past. Because you, the very fact that they're family histories means they are rarely written down, and they're certainly not written down at the time. Does that mean they didn't happen? Of course not. I have all kinds of experiences that have happened in my life that I did not write down. What if someone else did? And you have a period in Joseph Smith's life where literally almost everything is being written down or, or a lot more of it is, and you have periods where it's not. And so who knows when this could have happened or... Yeah. I mean, you're, you're assuming it's after Brigham Young was called you know, to the Quorum of the Twelve, but I mean, whether that's a part of the family lore or not, you, you wouldn't know because it's, again, someone recounting something from the past, from the past, from the past. So... It's entirely possible that it happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But a historian who was, say, writing a, a, an academic book on Brigham Young and his interactions with Joseph Smith, if they told that story, they would caveat it just as much as Truman Madsen did. Hey, there's a family story that has been in circulation for a while that I heard a hundred years after the fact that says that, 
And you would caveat it like that because that's telling your reader, hey, this is the type of source this is. You'll notice I try to do that a lot on this podcast, or actually maybe you don't notice it because I'm not doing a very good job of it. But maybe you notice that a lot of the times I will say things like, well, at least later, so-and-so said this. Now that's the cue to the audience. This is not, you know, Joseph Smith wrote this in his journal. This is, you know, someone later said that Joseph said that. It doesn't mean that he didn't say it, but it does mean it's a different type of source. And you'll notice there's all kinds of details we are lacking in this story. When was it? Hard to track something down when you don't know when it was. Kind of like, we know that there was no possible way that there was any Nephites living in North or South America. Because you looked literally everywhere all at once? Yes. What about the 99% of unexplored area? Well, other than that. And the four minutes ago, you discovered a place that you thought like six people lived and 30 million lived there. Like six minutes ago, you discovered that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The whole point is, when people want to argue from the absence of evidence, they should never be definitive about it. They should be upfront about it, which is exactly what, what Truman Madsen was. This story I haven't been able to find written down. I think because it was never written down. It's a family tradition. It's written down now because he told it in these lectures and then the book was published from the lectures. The problem is once it gets published in the book, then people are not as careful as he was when he used it. When he used it, he said, just so everyone knows, we don't have a written record of this. This is a family lore. This is a story we don't know. But when people cited it from his book, they simply said, remember the time Brigham Young had Joseph say this to him? And then cited Truman Matson's book. Now, if someone went and looked up that footnote, they would see, oh, yeah, he he's being a little hesitant with this source. In fact, it's probably the most hesitant thing he says in those that entire series of lectures, where he caveats it like seven times. But because it was personally related to him by President Brown, I think he feels, you know what? This is an important story to tell. And it really did teach the principle he was trying to teach. So I think you can talk about just about anything if you're going to tell people what it is you're using for a source and you you let them know that there are some sources that are better or worse. Now, when it comes to, to Brigham Young, you don't actually have to have that story to know that, jo- that Brigham is completely devoted to Joseph. And when I say completely devoted, I mean completely devoted. Brigham Young is so devoted, and I know I've told this story before, and you know what? I'm going to tell it again, and I'm going to probably tell it again and again and again because it's one of my favorite stories. And it's a relatively new story, so you probably haven't seen it very many places, but if you're looking for it, because we don't footnote, because we are not responsible, um, it's in the Council of 50 Minutes. The Council of 50 record that was published um through the Joseph Smith papers. If you're looking, it's called administrative volume one. If you go to Deseret book and say, I need administrative volume one of the Joseph Smith papers. I, I mean, I, good, good luck. With I that. don't get royalties yeah, from that no. either, but no, I mean, no, you still have to glut yourself on the premium for me to be able to keep doing this. But, um, in that, um, Brigham Young is, uh, 
is going to really talk about, well, he's going to demonstrate his devotion to Joseph. Now, first of all, Brigham says something very clear in the first general conference that follows Joseph's murder. In October of 1844, this is what Brigham Young says. It is the test of our fellowship to believe and confess that Joseph lived and died a prophet of God in good standing. Now, that's one of my favorite sentences of all time. People, even in the church today, I will sometimes encounter people who say things like, well, I think, you know, Joseph was a prophet, but, you know, once he introduced polygamy, I mean, I, I think he just, you know, he, he went off the rails there. Not to Brigham Young. It is the test of our fellowship to believe and confess that Joseph lived and died a prophet of God in good standing. And I don't want anyone to fellowship the 12 who says that Joseph is fallen. Brigham is drawing a pretty clear line in the sand. If you're going to say that Joseph became a fallen prophet because he taught about progression to become like God, because he taught about plural marriage, because he taught about eternal marriage, because he taught about work for the dead, because he taught about temple ordinances, I don't want you. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the church together. If you don't think that Joseph Smith was a prophet when he was shot in Carthage, then I don't want you. I, I don't need your fellowship. I don't want your fellowship. It's the true test of fellowship to believe and confess that Joseph lived and died as a prophet. If you don't know whose right it is to receive revelations, I will tell you. It is I. There has never been a man who stood between Joseph and the twelve, and unless we apostatize, there never will be. If Hiram had lived, he would not have stood between Joseph and the twelve. But he would have stood for Joseph. Did Joseph, Joseph ordain him to take his place? He did. Who was it? It was Hiram, but Hiram fell a martyr before Joseph did. If Hiram had lived, he would have acted for Joseph. And then we had gone, when we had gone up, the twelve would have sat down at Joseph's right hand and Hiram on the left. The Bible says God has set the church first apostles, then comes prophets. Afterwards, because the keys and powers of the apostleship are greater than that of prophets. He's trying to teach the fact that what was Joseph ordained to by Peter, James, and John? They were, he was, they were ordained to be apostles. Sidney Rigdon cannot hold the keys without Joseph. If he had held the keys without Joseph and been faithful, he would have been with us. If the twelve did not apostatize, they carry the keys of this kingdom wherever they go. He concluded by requesting all the brethren to tarry with us until all this business is through. So there's Brigham in his first conference after Joseph's murdered saying, if you are going around saying Joseph made mistakes in his doctrine, just get out. I don't want you. I don't want you in the church. Now, that might come across as a little harsh. If, if some of you do have questions about Joseph Smith who are listening, please don't get out of the church. Also, though, if you're going to go create a website that talks about how Joseph Smith isn't a prophet, actually, you know what? Do get out of the church. There's a big difference between having questions and publicly declaring that you know the answers to those questions, especially when, when you don't know. So 
in the Council of 15 Minutes, sorry, that, that was in the conference. That was in the general conference. You can look that up in the Times and Seasons. It's October 15th of 1844. Um, but in the Council of 50 Minutes, they're all sitting around talking about how horribly they've been treated by the federal government. And in that conversation, um, they talk about, you know, the, these evils that have happened. And Alvin Babbitt interjects and says, hey, we need to be careful what we say. Because, you know, in Missouri, there were people who were giving sermons talking about how our rights have been taken from us. And it stirred people up and it, and it caused a problem. Well, the meeting goes on until Brigham Young stops the meeting. And he stops the meeting and addresses that very thing. He says, Elder Babbitt, when he was speaking about inflammatory speeches, was making a reference to Joseph. He says, I know that he had Joseph in his mind, and no man can ever speak against Joseph in my presence, but I shall tell him of it. Brigham Young was absolutely devoted to Joseph Smith. That's what every source we have says. He didn't move west because everyone wants to live next to a salt lake in the middle of a desert. He moved west because Joseph said they needed to move west. He didn't maintain the program of building temples at their huge cost and expense because it was a great way to bring people together in their poverty. He did it because Joseph Smith taught it and revealed it. He didn't reject the doctrine of mankind becoming like God because Joseph Smith taught it. He didn't throw out work for the dead or temple endowments because Joseph Smith taught it. As Brigham would later say, to carry out Joseph's measures is sweeter to me than the honeycomb. While Joseph was living, it seemed as though he was hurried by the Lord all the time and especially for the last year. It seemed he laid out work for this church would last them 20 years to carry out. I used to wonder why it was that he used to be hurried so, not supposing that he was going to die. But now I understand the reason. He, he is certain that what their job is as a church is to follow the prophet Joseph Smith. And of course, you all know the quote where he says, I feel like shouting hallelujah all the time that, that, he, that I knew the prophet Joseph Smith. So while you know, I can't definitively discuss you know, this, uh, this story, at least I can tell you where it comes from. It comes from Brigham Young's family descendants. And that's how it gets into the Latter-day Saint uh, understanding. Did it happen exactly the way that the descendants have passed it down? I don't know. Could there have been some different details? Certainly there's details we don't have. In either case, I believe were Brigham Young to be rebuked by Joseph, it would not in any way have stayed Brigham Young's faith. Because Brigham Young was first and foremost a follower of Jesus through Joseph Smith. He knew about Jesus because of Joseph, and he was going to continue to know about Jesus because of Joseph. And he will credit Joseph for his testimony the remainder of his life. 
So thank you so much for joining us. We'll try to not answer more questions next week, which is, I think, what we're doing at this point, right? Are we just... We tell people we'll eventually... Next week, Apostles and Apostates, part two. There's no possible way we're doing that. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.